Welcome back to another podcast episode of Let's Open the Bible. It's Friday on the calendar as this drops. Don't know when you're listening, uh, what time of day or what day of the week, but uh, it's Friday when this drops. Uh, hopefully Friday morning if I did it right. And it's Russ and Gavin with you here today. Hello, Mr. Gavin. Hello. Is that the best you got? That's uh, that's all I got. Okay. That's the best it is. All right. Best it is? <laughs> 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 I'm going to use the language as I see fit. Uh, clearly. Yes. Um, so you just go ahead and just ruin the English language. Don't worry about it. What it is. Um, mm. <laughs> I, I mentioned, uh, if you listen to yesterday's podcast episode towards the end, before Gavin uh, broke into my uh, exit uh, speech there, um, I think it was before then. Anyways, uh, I mentioned that today we would be in James chapter 5, verse 16. So, listener, we want to give you a second to get there, uh, and I'm going to open us with a word of prayer and ask Gavin to um, lead us in prayer. Hopefully, he won't butcher the English language when he does. All right. Let's pray. All right. Father, we thank you for today. Uh, we love you. Uh, we praise your holy name. Uh, Lord, we uh, come to you humbly, uh, Father, seeking uh, your wisdom, your love, your grace, all that we don't deserve, your forgiveness. Uh, Lord, uh, we just uh, cherish the time that we have to be in your word and, uh, Father, to uh, just share in this in these moments that we have for your glory and honor. And, uh, Lord, I pray for the listeners uh, that are listening around the world. Uh, Lord, I pray for their salvation, number one, and I pray, Lord, that, uh, that they would be looking to you uh, for truth, uh, looking to your word, and uh, as we read Psalm 119 yesterday, Lord, that they would be treasuring your word, hiding your word in their heart, as uh, both Kevin and I attempt to do. And Father, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. By the way, did I get that? Did I did I mess that up? Yes. I don't know, because I was ready to pray, and you said, if you pray, don't mess up the language. But I did say that, you're yeah. The, I, I jumped in. I'm just following. I, you know, I, I was so, I think maybe just subconsciously, I was so frightened that uh, where you, you know, the English language, the butchering of the language there, that uh, maybe, I, I don't know. Who knows? I'm winging it. I'm following. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been long. <laughs> We've wonged it together. Yeah, uh, just read the passage, please. <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> All right, I will read silently to myself. Um, is anyone is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and, the heaven, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Very good. Well, um, I was sharing with Gavin an experience that I had uh, at, at a church um, that I was, I was at for a time. 
we were looking at verse 16, and I read, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And, and, and listener, you've probably had this happen before where somebody says something, and then it takes a second for you to kind of catch what they said. And so I had, I was, I was doing some teaching, and then like out of the blue, this person says, wait, we're not supposed to confess our sins to one another, are we? And then another member of the church sitting there said, that is literally the passage he just read. So we all got kind of a good laugh out of it. Uh, but uh, kind of walk us through this a little bit, if you will, Gavin, uh, because this is something we certainly don't practice, I think, largely, um, confessing our sins to one another. I know you read 13 through 20 there, but uh, just kind of walk walk us through some of this. Okay, so uh, I think there's a, a little aside here in verse 14, perhaps alluding to, and I do believe this, so I'm kind of tipping my hand that there is a plurality of elders in a church. So a lot of times in churches um, today, there is one elder and surrounded by deacons, but this seems to, seems to say, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, the elders, plural, of the church, singular, and let them pray over him. So uh, I do believe in a plurality of elders. That's an aside that you didn't have to pay extra for that, but but uh, I, I think it's it's in the text. Um, and then and then we should be people of prayer. Yeah. Uh, I, with faith, with faith, absolutely, um, and and I think the faith that is commendable is faith that God is and He is the rewarder. I don't think it's necessarily faithful to pray that every person will avoid death. In fact, we know that's not true. So, how many of the disciples died a martyr's death? And it depends on how you break them up. And we also believe this extra biblically. So, there's only one of the disciples that we know of in Scripture is is dies a martyr's death. And then there's Judas in Scripture who hangs himself. And it seems, and we don't know this biblically, but it seems extra biblically that John died of natural causes. So, you got Judas and John. And then it seems that the other ten, at least in in you know in the pages of history, and they're not authoritative, but they, you know, I don't want to say it's safe to assume, but if we go according to that, then ten of the twelve, if you add Paul, extra biblically, eleven of the thirteen, and if you add Matthias, it's twelve of the fourteen that died martyrs' deaths, and it doesn't seem that Paul is trying to preserve his life. So one, uh, we are to pray with faith, but the faith is not that everybody will be spared. That's not the faith. The uh, third John allows us to pray for people's health. Um, Paul prays for Epaphroditus who is sick. So we are to pray for people's health, but it is always the faith that we have is that God is, and he is good. And he is the rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. Yes. Okay, so that's the faith we have, and we are to be praying without ceasing. We are to pray for everything. We're to pray you know, in the morning, in the evening, and when we rise in the watches of the night, we are to be a praying people. Uh, I've heard one pastor say that prayer is like, the, is like breathing for a Christian. Should be. Should be. Yeah. We How should, about you? We should be... Uh, we should be in a position of prayer, at least mentally, if not physically. But uh, to answer your question, uh, I'm always prepared to pray, even like as I'm driving up the road or if I'm having a conversation with somebody in my mind or you know whatever I'm praying. But I can't say that I'm praying without ceasing. That right. Would, well, in, in a state of communion with God. Yeah. Right. So, so that that you're like that. you're ever aware of God's presence and you are in a position of communion with Him. And he is a part of the, every every moment of your day and every decision that you make. 
I fall miserably short. And and I hope that maybe there's somebody listening to this podcast that goes, "Ouch!" Like how how does he admit that? Well, it's it's sad. Uh, we are called to be that type of prayer, and there are times that my first response is, uh, "How can I fix this?" And it is not a mutually exclusive thing. We are I, not. Just, I fall into that too, though. Okay. Yeah, I fall into that too. I, I, you know, I was just thinking there was a situation come up. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but please. Yesterday, just yesterday, uh, I, I, one of our children made a request that we wouldn't do for probably anyone else. And I explained to him, I said, well, I got to talk to your mom. You know, this is a big decision and all this. Well, what, what we didn't do, we didn't pray. And that's noticeable in the, in the historical narratives of the Old Testament. You, you'll notice, wait, they didn't seek God at all. And sometimes God even says, you didn't seek my counsel. Or you sought a physician. Or you sought so-and-so. Or you sought, you sought an alliance with other kings. Th- that's noticeable in Scripture when God is not your first resource. And almost only resource, you, understanding that he then uses the means of other nations, of physicians, of you know other, other – he uses means. But your first and only resource is God – who then uses other means to supply your needs. So it's not that you can't talk to those people, but God is. Um, and what's interesting is, is I normally, out of a uh, out of a, a seven night sleep, I will most weeks sleep through the night, almost all seven nights. It's very seldom do I get up. Uh, here lately, I, I normally sleep very thoroughly. I woke up last night, and the first thing I thought of was. Y'all didn't pray. You didn't pray about that. So you just made the decision without praying. Yeah. And and uh, and then I began to have these bad thoughts about what could happen as a result of our decision. And then I was troubled, uh, and it disrupted my sleep greatly and, and had to kind of pray to and ask God for rest, you know, from that. Um, That's but, good. Yeah, it was troubling. I had the weirdest experience of my life the other day. I felt I felt evil, and and I, and I'm not a, you know, I, I'm not I don't I'm not driven by feelings. I'm not driven by, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm a truth guy. I'm a word guy, uh, and and I understand that the word allows us to be very emotional, and, and feelings are a very big part of the Christian faith. But that those aren't the determinative things. Feelings. Well, I felt this way. We need to acknowledge them and deal with them and wrestle with them, and they're a part of the Christian walk. But they they're not. They don't drive the show. Truth does. I you know Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth." That those are Christ Himself drives uh, the the faith, right? The, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit drive the faith. But man, I'm I'm like you. I two nights ago I could not sleep, and I just felt this this eerie presence. Uh, and I, I don't know what it means. I don't want to overstate it. I don't want to understate it. But praying, you just start praying, yeah. And I did. I was it was it was interesting. All right, so was that a Jerry Maguire moment there? Did you eat some bad pizza or something before you went to bed? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. Hmm. I'm not sure. I but just, it was the right response, right? Prayer, yeah. yeah. And I and I also know this that sometimes we over attribute uh, things to the devil. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Because very few. Do you know anybody that believes in the ubiquity of of, of Satan? I've talked with a few people about this lately. So, so you know, if you're listening and you're one of the ones that I've talked to, this is pretty much the same conversation I've had with you. But do you, do you know many people that believe in the ubiquity of Satan that I he don't. is ev- omnipresent? I don't. No, I don't. And I don't believe that he's everywhere. I don't either. So we over attribute things to the devil. Oh, the devil yeah. made me do it. It's the flesh, the world conspiring, the flesh conspiring, and demonic activity. Uh, sure, but but the flesh gives you enough to keep you busy. He gets my own w- flesh. He gets way too much credit. Right. At the same time. I'm not unaware 
that there is much spiritual activity, demonic and angelic, that I'm unaware of. Right. So, for example, we are to be hospitable to strangers, and by doing so, we may entertain angels unaware. There is spiritual activity that I'm very unaware of. And so I just want to acknowledge it. I don't know. You know, it could have been pizza. It could have been something more than that, much more than that. Um, but but prayer is the right response for both of those. Yes. Okay. So um, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I think God is at liberty to heal you. You know, when, when Paul speaks of Epaphroditus, he says that God had mercy on him and on us also. So God absolutely is in the business of healing. But it's not always or even primarily that you will be healed in this life. So there were people that were afflicted and destitute by because of their faith. They were afflicted and destitute, wandering around. Hebrews 12 reminds us, uh, sorry, Hebrews 11 reminds us of that. Um and then I think you get the idea that it's not necessarily a temporal healing. When you go down to verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. What does that mean? It doesn't mean he'll save his soul from dying. It means that he will save his soul, he will save his soul from the consequence of sin death, that eternal death. The wages of your sin is death. And so, again, I think that that's, that's kind of our hope is that God uh, – has mercy on our souls, and we will have eternal life. As, uh, what is it, 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us that what is when we pass away physically, what is mortal is swallowed up by life. So Jesus in John 11 says, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Well, that doesn't mean everybody that believes in Jesus won't have a casket one day, won't be put in the ground one day. It means that we will be immediately experiencing eternal life. Well, and we see, you know, there's other scripture accounts, you know, Hezekiah, you know, uh, he, he prayed that uh, God would spare his life and he lived, what, another 15 years, I think it was. And, yeah. and we see in Psalm, I think it's 41 verse 3 about, you know, God strengthening the one on the sick bed. I mean, I've got members, I'm sure you have members that are, are battling very serious illnesses and, uh, you know, certainly we, we pray for them, but as I always uh, try to incorporate in, into my conversation that I'm having with somebody who is maybe, uh, near death or their loved ones at least, or those who have passed away as I'm talking with the loved ones that, you know, God did answer the prayer, you know, they're healed, right? you know, and, and, uh, but until God becomes your treasure again, yeah. I, I cannot say this enough. I know I say it a lot. I cannot say it enough. It cannot be overstated until God becomes what you desire. You won't understand scripture, right? He is, you have been created to have an intimate relationship with him. And when those of us who are saved experience that, that is a joy that we cannot comprehend the pleasures and joy at his right hand forevermore. Right? I mean, you just can't you can't ex, you can't explain it. There, it's joy inexpressible, is what you what you get. Oh, but they passed away. Why are the good taken? Well, Isaiah reminds us that they enter into rest and they're spared from calamity. Those that are taken, and that seems to be sort of the the conversation going on in Hebrews four. Yeah, they will enter into his rest. Yep, it's the ultimate Sabbath. Yeah, I, I actually have that written somewhere. 
to talk about later is, is Sabbath. You know, we think we got it on our own. We don't, we don't enjoy the Sabbath. We don't need the Sabbath. All right. Uh, therefore confess your sins. Confess again is to say with, um, the, the Greek there is to, to, to acknowledge out of, or something like that, which, you know, I mean, just like you need to recognize your sins and to say with, in this case, I think it's both. And I think it's to confess, to say with the people around you. I think, in fact, this mostly is sin against each other. And we need to come before one another and say, man, I, I messed up. I hurt you. I said some things that you may not even know about. I confess that. I say with you, like we can say together, I blew it. I messed up. Can we acknowledge that? Yeah. Um, and and I think that it all is also to come before God and say, listen, God, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our iniquity, our unrighteousness, Right. And I think then, secondly, how it's tied into being healed, do you know that there is a natural and spiritual consequence to sin? You want to see some people that look way older than they are, <laughs> way older than they are. A lot of it, not always, some of it's genetic, which is, again, part of the fall, some of it. By the way, all aging is part of the fall, right? right? So death came into the world through one man's sin. All aging and death and decay and destruction is a part of sin. It's not a one-to-one. You don't look older necessarily because you sin. But, in fact, there often is a correlation between people that have lived, oh, man, we lived hard when I was younger. You know, we lived the, the rough life. Well, it shows. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of, and, and again, if you're listening and that's you, I, 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 God is good and he, and he has provided you a way of escape. And you are, if you have trusted in Christ, you have been healed. And one day you will be fully healed. Um, you are being, you have been healed. You are being healed and you will be healed. Right. I was just going to say that. That's good. Yeah. You beat me to it. Okay. So, uh, but there is a, na- I, I just remember one person, I walked by a picture and, and, you know, I, I've said this before with pastor Floyd, um, who had been at our church for you know 35 years before I was even a thought. And we walked by this picture and he said, you know, that's Russ. I'll use you. That's Russ. No way. That's Russ. Yeah. Well, how long ago was that? 10 years ago, whatever, you know, some, some, no way. What happened? Sin. And it's not a one-to-one. I, I don't want, you know, Oh, well, you know, I'm looking old. I must be doing something wrong. no, but there is a consequence, a physical consequence. You know, a, a, this this may be an overstatement, and I want to stay in Scripture. Go to the hospital, the hospital, which is an indication of sickness, on a Friday night. Yeah, it's a mess. Why? There's a lot, especially in that ER. Yeah, you don't, that's what I'm saying. You don't want to be there. That's what I'm saying. It's a bad day if you're sitting in there. Sin. Man, there's all kinds of shenanigans that have led people into that place. Sin is it's so so so. Here's what you do: you take that which is in darkness, the sin, and you've enjoyed it, and you've kind of hidden it. It's it's really healthy and and cathartic cleansing to bring it to light. Some churches, and I'm going to ask your opinion on this, and I and I don't know that I could make this case from scripture, and I'm really big on trying to make the case from scripture. Or or again, I don't want to make my case from scripture. I want to submit to scripture. I want to submit to God's word. But I don't know that I can do that in this case. <clears throat> I know some churches that have you stand up for any sin. In fact, some schedule it for all of everybody to stand up and confess your sins to the whole church regularly. Not on any special sin, not any church discipline issues or anything like that, but just regularly stand up and confess your sins. Do you think that's what this is speaking of? No. I don't either. 
I'll give you another one. So from what I understand, and I've looked to get a better understanding of this, a better a better historical feel for this, but the confessional booth was established for the traditores, right? People that had, had denied the faith. And so one minute they're denying the faith under persecution, and the next minute they're back in church. And people really don't know if they're, they're legitimate, they're honest, they're repentant. People don't know if they're spies now. And so the confessional came as a way to, to you know, kind of work through this. And so you'd go along with the pastor and the, and the, or the priest, and the priest would walk you through a confession, and the priest would ask you, you know, have you repented? of denying the faith. And so it seems to have some decent roots because you didn't know if a spy was coming into the congregation to start outing people and, and turning them over to the authorities. Um, and again, I, that's a pseudo history, maybe actually factual, but that's my understanding of it to the best of my ability to work it out right now. So I ask you, do you think the confessional is necessarily and prescriptively biblical? No. Me either. Me either. But whatever you ultimately believe, you cannot ignore this text. So I, I like how you work through it, though. Is, is you know your interpretation of it is is if I have sinned against you, is confessing that sin and repenting of that sin, right? You know Which that makes if sense. You ha- if, if your brother has, you know, if if your brother has something against you, yeah. leave your gift at the altar. Which it is, I, we've talked about this again before. Is can you imagine saying to the church, "I cannot tithe"? I think that's what it means. I cannot tithe. I've got to leave my gift to the church, to God at the altar. I cannot give to the church until I make this. You want to see some some pastors get serious about working things out in their congregation? If your brother has something against you or you have something against your brother, watch the tithing dry up. And, and you know we could work through Old Testament tithing, New Testament tithing, what it means, and cheerful giver and heart. And all. But can you imagine just saying, listen, we've got issues that aren't, are, until I handle it, we're not giving. Hmm. You'd motivate some pastors to get serious about reconciliation. <laughs> you'd, you'd put, you'd put a, a lot of concerned members on the edge of their seat too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I love it. So um, and confess your sins one to another, um, and pray for one another. Uh, I, I've said this before about the First Peter three passage with my wife. Have you tr- have you had a disagreement with your wife, and then it says? honor her as the weaker vessel that your prayers might not be hindered. And I think there's some spiritual components to that as well, but go have a, an issue with your wife and then say, Hey, let's pray after you've been a tool after you've been a punk. <laughs> she looks at you like, don't you act spiritual on me right now? Yeah. You better, but, you better repent. Yeah. Now, now keep in mind how awkward living out the faith is. This is very awkward. Can you imagine going up and saying, Russ, I said something negative about you the other day and it was that you smell and you look funny and you're not very smart. Can we pray? (laughs) (laughs) But you see what I'm saying? It says confess your sins one to another and pray. Right. And I think that's corporately and personally pray. You should be saturated. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Here's what's interesting to me about this verse. Believers are sometimes funny animals. Most believers I know that are familiar with this verse, they remember the second half of this verse and they can quote the second half of this verse I, I, I've never heard or very seldom have I ever heard anyone that could remember the first half of this verse, the confess your sin part. They'll remember, and I've heard pastors say this. In fact, for a long time before I read my Bible, I thought the whole verse was the second half of the verse, the yeah. effect of yes. perfect prayer of the you're, righteous you're, man. You're nailing much. it. Yeah, because I agree. pastor after pastor after pastor, they'll quote it, and it sounds so good and so right, but it's out of context. Right, and I, and I think that, uh, this certainly, certainly has some bodily prayer components to it. Like you're praying for the corporeal uh, 
the, the physical, right? But there's also a spiritual, an absolute spiritual component here. Um, conf- so sin connected is to a, confession, con- connected absolutely to confession. So I think, and this is on me. I'm just saying, ouch, as I read through this. But that when we're not handling the sin in the church um, and praying, confessing and praying, uh, and the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much type of language. Uh, I think a lot of the discord and unhealthiness spiritually in people and in the church is a product of not confessing and not praying like we ought. Yeah, uh, and I think that's clear in the context of verses 13 through 20. What is the effective fervent prayer? The one who has confessed his sins. The one that has has done the hard thing. Because I don't know... I. I I don't know if you've gone to anybody and and asked for forgiveness of something that you've done. That's really hard. Right. And in the in the counseling sessions that I have, I have a kind of a, a session on forgiveness. And I've kind of put together this sheet of of uh, things that that you know has different verses and different really really helpful quotes by people that are far smarter than myself. But that's just one aspect of of that. And so what I always what I always talk to the people about is one forgiving the person that has sinned against you and working through that, asking God to help you be able to forgive those people and I, and I talk to them about having a forgiveness list and different things. But then the second part of that is even harder is going to the one that you have sinned against and confessing that sin and asking forgiveness from them. Which is more difficult for you? That, like I, I don't. There may be I don't know as, as I kind of think in my heart in my mind people I can't I'm not I don't know of any grudges I'm holding against anybody that I'm angry at I mean I've kind of settled those things. Man, I get nervous when I have to make that phone call or go see that person that I know that I've offended or that that I know that I've sinned against and and apologize and confess that sin and repent. Uh, I. I, you know, that's a tough phone call to make or a tough visit to have. So for me, um, I consider Moses, I consider Paul, and then ultimately consider Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he had just people grumbling about him, correcting him all the time. Moses, you know, they they wanted, I mean, his own brother and sister were frustrated with his preferential, quote unquote, preferential treatment by God and his unique calling as the leader. Um, and so there was just grumbling and complaining and rebellion and, and unrepentance and all those other things. And so, uh, and you know, Jesus on the night he was betrayed, they're arguing about who would be the greatest and they just, Oh, you have little faith constantly. Um, and so, so for me, I don't know that even almost at all that I get upset with the sin against me, even at all. In fact, I hate the words from me, I forgive you. And I know that they may be necessary, but it it presumes that like I am in a position where I have something against you. And I know that's not what most people mean. And you could say that's not at all what we mean, but I struggle with even forgiving because it just seems presumptuous on my part uh, to to be in that position against God alone. Have you sinned? You work that out with him. Um, the, The initial call is awkward to me because it's just awkward. Hey, I really got to talk to you about this. But apologizing is not awkward at all. I, I try. I, I don't mind heaping my sin on me. The problem is for me is discernment as to when I have offended people. Mm. So some people are really upset with me and I'm just oblivious. I don't even know. I don't know that I've ever done anything wrong. And I have, as soon as they uh, expose it to me, like one person sat me down and said, I was about, I was really almost ready to fight you over something you said. Wow. And I went, 
what did I say? And then when they said it, I went, oh, no. That's yeah. not at all how I meant it. But your understanding of it is a better way of just, you know, the plain things are the main things. The plainest understanding of what I said was really wrong. And they had a, I don't know about right, but they understandably were a, upset. A reason. Yeah, they had a reason. They were understandably upset with me. And I do that regularly and it breaks my soul. As a pastor, you have to be far more discerning uh, than at times I am. All right. Uh, confess your sins one another. Pray for another. Anything else that we need to cover that we that we didn't? Not that I can think of. Um, get in an accountability relationship. Many pastors have wandered away from the faith. Many people have um, started to think of themselves as perfect or you know, um, kind of having arrived because they're not in a place where they are confessing to their sins to one another. I don't think it primarily means publicly confessing. Um, some people, that's easy. Oh, they'll tell you all their sins. They don't mind at all. In fact, sometimes they even boast in them. Right. Oh man, guess what I did? But but I think this is much more private. I think this is much more sober. Uh, I think this is much more, hey, you Rush, you keep losing your cool. What are we doing about it? Do you need to step down from the ministry if it gets to a place where it's, you know, it's disqualified you? You have lust issues that you need, to, and I'm, you know, I, I don't know what Russ's sins, sin issue is, but um, confess your sins. I think we ought to be accountable to one another. Yeah, well said. Uh, listener, again, uh, as I do, uh, I always invite you to wrestle with these things, but on Fridays, I particularly invite you to make sure that you are making um, it a priority to be in God's house, where you can lift your prayers, where you can sing your praises, where you can sit under the authority of God's word being rightly divided by a man of God. And uh, so just I challenge you to, to make that a priority. Make sure you're going to bed early enough the night before the service so that you're not sleepy and prone to fall asleep as much as you're able. Come ready to worship. And, Amen. Uh, and, and do that uh, Do that as, as your local assembly meets. And uh, we look forward to catching back with you on Monday. Until then, be blessed.